Hey, welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. I'm your host, Stevie Taylor. I hope you're well. I'm going to keep this intro short and sweet today so we can rip straight into the interview. So, episode 82, Zoe Helpman. Here we go. My guest today is Zoe Helpman. Zoe has become one of the most in-demand bass players around, with gigs like Missy Higgins, Ian Moss, Paul Kelly, Neil Finn, Justine Clark, Tim Minchin, Katie Noonan, and many, many others. Growing up in a musical family on an apple orchard in Canberra, Zoe and her two brothers Ben and James Helpman developed a deep love for the history and traditions of jazz. Transfixed by their parents' record collection, the Helpmans were a ready-made trio with Zoe on bass, Ben and his guitar, and James on drums. As adults, the Helpman siblings have all enjoyed long-standing success as professional musicians and composers. As well as all the playing, the gigs, etc., Zoe is also creative artistic director for SEMA, musical director for Australian Women in Music Awards, artistic programmer for Wangaratta Jazz Festival, and founding member of Etalong Jazz Festival. Zoe has always been passionate about addressing the gender imbalance in the music industry and still actively seeks to bring that change today. She's also a mum to young children, a wife, and an avid surfer. How does she make it all work? Ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for Zoe Helpman. I think we're rolling. Welcome to the Gig Life Podcast, Zoe Helpman. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, we've been trying to put this together for a while, eh? You have. With the end of last year and um, you were you were super busy and um, and now, and now I'm not. Now we're not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now we've got all the free time in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what, do you, what have you guys been doing with, with your time? Um, obviously, you've got young kids, so it's probably good to be home yeah. with them all the time. Yeah. It is actually like it's crazy. It's it, we found it. It's sort of like there's some really good things about being home. You know, it's been really nice in some ways, like having the family all together and yep. hanging out. And we're like, this must be what normal people do. Like just <laughs> hang out and have dinner together, and you know, do gardening. And we've been doing a lot of gardening, doing all those things around the house that we haven't done for the last ever. You know, however many years. Mm. Um, but then you just miss playing so much, like yeah. miss live playing. And we've still been doing stuff. Like I do artistic director work. So mm-hmm. I've, that's been actually really busy because we've been sort of um, moving everything to online series and trying to roll out with SEMA. We've been trying to roll out these like mentorship programs and all this stuff. So that's been good. You know, I've been doing that. But then trying to do all that stuff with the kids around and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, just like, and trying to homeschool and, yeah, that's, that's you know, tough, man. like just do all the things, you know, it's just pretty, it's pretty intense. But, you know, there have been some really lovely bits about it. 
that yeah. I think I'll miss when I go back, just hanging out together all the time, you know. Yeah, for sure. Nice. Just let's just roll back three months. Just let 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 us know what you're up to from say the start of this year up to when COVID COVID hit, and then what was kind of straight away taken away. What what was what was sort of planned in the next yeah, couple of months? So, um, I mean, I. I play bass for Missy Higgins and have done for a few years now, about four years. And so we were actually lucky, like the start of this year, we were touring and we just finished like right before COVID hit. So we just kind of finished our tour. So that was in a way lucky timing. She Mm. didn't have to cancel. We have a whole heap of gigs like coming up as in now-ish that have had to be cancelled. And I had some other shows with like Ian Moss and, people like that that had been cancelled. But, yeah, basically before, like the start of this year, before COVID hit, I was basically just touring with Miss yep. and then, um, yeah, doing that and, you know, then nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nothing so now, so is, it, yeah. is it a case of everything has been cancelled or um, um, in some cases stuff towards the end of the year for some people is still kind of dangling at the moment? It's still there? Well, yeah, like sort of. I mean, for us it's kind of like the next at least six months is out and yeah. a lot of stuff has been rescheduled for next year. Okay. Seems to be what people are doing, like some festival stuff. There's stuff, there's some other stuff that hasn't been cancelled but I just can't see that it's going to go ahead. Right. Stuff, you know, in like August and right. July and, you know. Um, but I haven't officially been told that that stuff's off, but I just can't imagine it will be on. Mm. Um, and then there's lots of other, you know, other little jazz gigs, like, you know, I had that other stuff, like all little local stuff cancelled. And it was, I was actually like right, right when it hit, probably about that first week when we sort of realised everything was starting to shut down, right when they, you know, first introduced the, um, ban on 500 people I had a session with a a good mate of mine Jess Green and I was in there with her and another drummer Brie Van Ryk and the three of us and it was sort of funny but super depressing because in between every take we'd look at our phones and it'd be like oh another gig cancelled another gig (laughs) cancelled like oh there goes July there goes like between the three of us I think we had like about 15 16 shows within two hour session cancelled it was just really pretty full-on um, yeah, that was the beginning of it. But. Were you playing restaurants and cafes? Because I was reading something today that potentially some restaurants and cafes may uh, may open. Start well, there may be a little bit of a hand, a little bit of a foot off the break, um, and some of that stuff might open. Is that going to open up opportunities or not? Um, I'm not sure. I don't personally kind of do those okay. like cafe and gigs. Like I do mostly like clubs and yep. that sort of, you know, more um, ticketed sort of stuff. But yep. Yep. Um, that's great if that is happening because that will be a lot of people will be able to, you know, hopefully get some work. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, that would be awesome for because I know heaps of musos, you know, make a lot of, you know, there's just so many ways that musos make money and I think that's what we've realised, like, but it all just depends on, you know, you've got to have people there. You've got to go out and, yep. you know, the entertainment industry has just been so hard hit. It'll be a long time, I think, before we get back to mm. how it was. Like, we, you know, like all these festivals and stuff, like I sort of feel like that might be the last thing that they're going to let 
a whole heap of people come together and um, at big shows and stuff like that. I mean, hopefully, hopefully it won't be too long, but yeah, it's just, it's hard to plan because you just don't really know like what's going on. It's just, we're all in limbo, but yeah. Um, your husband, Evan Manel, he's a drummer. Is he, is he a professional musician as well? Yeah. Yep. He's a professional muso. Um, yeah, he plays with lots of people. He does, he's still got te- like he does one-on-one teaching oh, okay. for a school. And yep. so he's still doing a bit of that online, like, um, yep. you know, via Zoom, mm-hmm. one-on-one teaching. But yeah, all his, he does lots of, um, you know, weddings and corporate gigs. And then he does touring and stuff as well. Mm-hmm. He just did a thing with the Australian Chamber Orchestra right before this hit. Mm. He's got some gigs with Tim Minchin coming up at the end of the year, supposedly. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see if that happens. Yeah. Yeah. So he's the same, like in the same boat as me and all our friends. Yeah, I'm all my family. My whole entire family are musicians. Yep. So mm. it's kind of crazy. Mm. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot to talk about at family dinner. Well, you can't even have a family dinner. Eh? I was going to say, a lot to talk about at family dinner, but you can't have that. <laughs> I know. Well, yeah. I have been. My brother is actually up. I live up on the Central Coast. Yep. And my brother, Ben, who's a guitarist, lives up here. And so we've been, they've been really strict and we've been really strict. So they're like the one people we're seeing. We're kind of helping out with kids when we can which is good. So we'll take their little one or he'll take my kids or just for a little bit just to get, have a bit of breathing space, which is nice. So, That's good. yeah, we're lucky in that way. Mm. We can see each other. Mm. All right. Let's sort of break on the COVID thing um, and talk about you and your career and how it all started and how it got up to the point that we're at now. And um, Yeah, sure. Yeah, like you said, you're – uh, part of a musical family, you've got two brothers that play. Um, do your mother and father play? Are they musicians as well? My dad is a trumpet player, like an amateur trumpet player, but he used to play like back in the 70s. He played in bands and um, he's there from Canberra. Mum and dad, I grew up in an apple orchard mm-hmm. um, in Canberra and dad used to yeah play trumpet and that's actually where my mum met him at a gig. She was like a groupie sort of, I guess, (laughs) seeing him at the gig. And, yeah, Dad's band actually, they they had a really funny name. They were called the Eight of Pentacles and they they supported – who did they support? They supported like Sherbet and because they were like the band in Canberra. So any band that would come into Canberra they'd support. They supported like the Little River Band and all these things. (laughs) But Dad's a massive, massive, massive music fan and so – when we were little kids, we just heard so much music, like from all genres, like jazz, classical, rock, pop, like everything. He just this, He's just a massive, massive music fan. He still practices his trumpet every day. He practices and gets the trumpet lessons and he's just still such a massive music fan. Mm. So I think we were really lucky in that regard. We just were surrounded by it. Mm. Yeah, I've got heaps of other musos in the family, like my uncle is the drum teacher at the jazz school down in Canberra and my other uncle was a classical percussionist and my auntie's a classical like professional clarinetist. My grandma was a concert pianist, oh. lots of classical musos. Yeah. Um, my cousin Nick Corveg is a bass, amazing bass player. Um, yeah, there's, there's a million musos. We've got one cousin, my one cousin Carla, 
um, Horvig, she rebelled and went into finance. <laughs> so she's the black sheep of the family. <laughs> but is she, she still it, plays Rhodes, Rhodes and um, Whirly and stuff. Is she the one everyone's <laughs> calling on now for, for um, what do we do with our money? <laughs> yes, totally. She keeps us in line. Yeah. She tells us what not to do. Yeah. <laughs> when did you first start playing bass? And was it always bass? And was there a, a moment? Yeah, like I – I loved bass. I didn't start actually playing bass till quite late. Like I was 15, um, but I've been listening to music a lot. Like I saw um, Ray Brown play when I was really young. Like I d- he, was, he was out playing with um, James Morrison and I wanted to see him because I was a massive, massive fan of Miles Davis. Apparently when I was 10, I'd only listened to the 60s Miles my dad said that I, I told him that bebop was too weird and I only wanted to listen to 60s miles. So I was like, anyway, I was a massive jazz nerd from a very young age and when Ray Brown was coming out, he was playing with James Morrison, who I didn't actually know who James Morrison was, but I wanted to see Ray Brown. Yep. And um, so I think I must have always had a love for bass, but then I didn't start till I was kind of, yeah, 15 and, because me, me and my brother at high school, we got to this point where in this sort of special music program, it's you know, you'd clap a rhythm or whatever and sing a thing and if you could do it, they put you in this sort of a bit more advanced sort of high school music program and um, it got to a point in it where they're like, you've got to learn an instrument. And my dad had always um, kind of really wanted to play bass. So he's like, why don't you, you know, play bass? And I just loved it, like instantly. Although I started straight away trying to play bass lines that were way too hard because my ears were like, by that stage, I was listening to like Herbie Hancock, Manchild and Parliament and all this crazy (laughs) stuff that I was trying to, like one of the first things I tried to do was learn a John McLaughlin solo on the bass. It was like just insane. It was like I don't know why I thought that would be possible, but... (laughs) (laughs) But eventually I worked it out and I learned just really easy bass lines. Like I used to play along to like Van Morrison and um, Joe Cocker and lots of blues. Like I did lots and lots of blues playing. When I started, I used to play in these blues bands and blues festivals and stuff and, yeah, just loved it like instantly. And then I, d- I started jazz school. I got into the school of music down there like after I'd been playing for a year. So I just played like bass electric for a year and then got into like the prep course, which is like this thing you do in year 11 and 12. It's like a precursor to the actual, you know, um, jazz course down there. And then that was great because then I met all these other musos, many of whom I'm still really good friends with and still play with. The ones I mentioned before, Jess Green and Brie Van Rijk. That's where I very first met Brie was back then when we were like 16 and you know, we started a band together way back then and, yeah, went on to play a few years ago. I played, actually toured with Paul Kelly and Bree was um, playing drums oh, and wow. he, Paul had got Bree and was like, do you know this drummer Bree Van Rijk? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I do. <laughs> That's cool. We're actually in our very first band together, so yeah, it's that's pretty cool. amazing. That's cool. Okay, so <laughs> you, you already answered my first question. Um, oh, not my first question, but the question I was about to ask Um electrical or upright first but it sounds like you played electric first yeah i played yep. electric for years i didn't start upright until fourth year of uni okay and um i this bass teacher came this guy who's still down there this amazing um 
musician and just amazing guy, Erica Jai, who's just, oh, he was, I don't know, he just set something off in me. You know, you make those musos along your path sometimes that just really inspire you and Mm -hmm. he's just this amazing guy that basically he'd come to Australia to visit his brother and um, met this woman and fell in love and just basically never went back and landed landed in Canberra and he's like, you know, he's a badass. He used to play with this uh, Freddie Hubbard in the 70s. He toured oh, his very first professional gig was with Taj Mahal when he was 19 and he played with the Pointer Sisters and he was like an L.A. studio guy, you know, just really like I was so lucky to get to learn from him. And, yeah, he he just got me on the double and, yeah, I just loved it. And then, you know, I was just practising like constantly and, once I started, that was it. So after I started for a year, I was playing double and then managed to get into the Wangaratta Jazz, um, National Jazz Awards mm-hmm. um, for bass, which was really, I was freaking out because I'd only been playing upright for a year right. and I was pretty young. Then I was like 21 or something and the only girl in it and, you know, but that was great. So I went along and did that and then met all these other bass players and that was like the year before I moved to Sydney. So it actually worked out really well. Um, just for meeting other bass players and stuff like that before I'd move, I moved away from the Apple Orchard up to Sydney. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I'd always loved double bass. It was the same thing, like, because I'd listened to it from such a young age and loved, you know, loved all these, you know, jazz, all this jazz stuff from really young. But I got really heavy into Dave Holland when I was um, at jazz school and also lots of Aussie stuff like Adam Armstrong and Lloyd Swanton and, Jonathan Schwartz or this sort of, you know, Steve Elphick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm a massive Australian jazz fan yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, I can tell. Um, yeah. <laughs> let's just talk a little bit about the, the difference between the technique and the way that you play electric as compared to upright. What What do you think is the biggest, the biggest challenge going from one to the other? Because, you, you know, you, you do a ton of jazz gigs and then you have to jump on and pick up your electric bass yeah, I guess it's just like, for me, it's just they're just totally different. I mean, obviously there's, you know, when you're first learning, the biggest issue is the physic physically, yeah. like playing upright. It's yeah. so hard, like and it's so different and your fingers, you get massive blisters and blood blisters and mm. it's painful and all that sort of stuff. But you work through that and I guess the roles are the same, but for me it's like I've always just listened to heaps of different genres of music mm. and so for me... It's more about the style of music I'm playing rather than the instrument. Mm-hmm. So, like electric, like a lot of the, like I was always really into funk and blues from really early on, and pop and rock. Like just this. So for me, it's more like not the instrument I'm playing, but like the genre of music and being true to that. Yep. Like if I'm playing upright, if I'm playing country, you know, it's a totally different way you play country. So it's a different way of bass playing than if you're playing jazz or, mm. you know. And I think that that's what gives it the, you know, the the authentic, uh, authentic. Oh, I can't even fucking say it. The authentic sound is like, you know, if you if you listen to the genre, and you love it, and you've listened to a lot of it, and you've checked out players in that genre, then you're gonna it's gonna sound kind of right more than about yeah, because it's just a big. I guess the difference is just physically it's different. Yeah, right. But besides that, I see bass is like. Bass is kind of the same, really. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. I get no matter uh, what bass you're playing. Right, right. Um, do you remember your first band? Yes. So oh. my first band was 
the one that I was mentioning before with my bro- my brother was in it and yep. um, Jess and Bree. I was about 15, I think. Well, it's right when I started playing, 15 or 16, and we were called Flying Gernard, which is a terrible name. Which <laughs> um, is actually a flying fish. My brother named the band and right. uh, he, was, he was very stubborn and so we just had to go with the name. But we played, uh, it was the 90s, and we played original kind of, I guess it was like jazzy funk stuff, fusiony funk, mm-hmm. as many 90s bands did. Um, yeah, it was great. We loved it. We used to practice for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> We'd rehearse and we used to do band. We won a couple of band comps, which was really fun, and got to play at the uni bar a couple of times, yep. which was the, like the big place to play in Canberra. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was my first band. Right. So what moved you out of Canberra? towards Sydney and Central Did you come straight from Canberra to the Central Coast or did you sort of no, spend some time Sydney. in Sydney? No, I've only and, been yep. up on the Central Coast three years now. Oh, okay, yep. Um, I was in Sydney for years. Yep. Um, basically from Canberra you kind of have to move, like Sydney or Melbourne, mm-hmm. to uh, – it was a big decision for me actually because originally I was thinking Melbourne. My brother wanted to go to Sydney and we were really close, and we're very close in age. My brother Ben, the guitarist, but the younger one, James, came later. He was he's like a couple of years younger than Ben. Mm-hmm. But um, Ben was always like, "I'm going to Sydney," and I was I was sort of um, leaning towards Melbourne. And then I remember I talked to Eric about it, and he said, "Where are the drummers that you want to play with?" Oh, right. And I was like, that and that was cool for me, and I was like, okay, Sydney. That's where I want to go. I wanted to play with like Hamish Stewart and, you know, there was all these drummers up here and that I, that I was really Toby Hall and, you know, all these amazing drummers. But, I mean, Melbourne, I could have just as easily gone to Melbourne. And, re- and really in those early, early kind of days, probably the first four or five years that I was in Sydney, I was in Melbourne a lot. And a lot of people, I still play with like heaps of Melbourne people like Missy's from Melbourne and lots of the bands I've played with over the years are Melbourne Melbourne-based people, often people go, oh, are you from Melbourne? I'm like, no, no, Sydney. Well, now Central Coast, but. Yep. Yeah. Um, when did when did you start singing? Because you, um, you sing a fair bit too, don't you? Yeah, I do now. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, that was later for me. I mean, I'd always sung. Everyone always sings, you yep. know. I'd sung yep. since I was a little kid. My grand, I used to sing a lot with my granddad mm-hmm. when we were little. He was a singer. Um, and. Yeah, we always sung a lot together, but I'd never sung on gigs, like, ever. I was too shy and nervous. Mm. And I first started singing on gigs when I started playing with this. I always played a lot of folk stuff as well and played with singer-songwriters. I've always loved singer-songwriters. And um, early on when I was in Sydney, I started playing with this amazing singer-songwriter, Steve Appel, who's known, anyway, known as King Curly. He's got this amazing voice, and he just basically got, me singing, he's like, you've got to sing. I want you to sing backup vocals, and I'm a, I'm like a soprano in my singing. And so I remember when I first started singing, I got such a shock because I, I don't know why, I sort of thought I'd have a low voice because I play bass. I sort of assumed I'd be low. <laughs> yeah, right. But my voice is like really high. Right. And so I used to be like, oh, this is really weird. Yeah. I'm like doing the lowest note and the really high parts. Yes. Yeah. I sung with him for years, and then just over the years, I've just done it and I love it like I love doing it now and I've improved I think I've improved a lot I've just always asked when I'm singing 
with like proper singers, like professional singers, I'm always like get tips from them, like free singing lessons on the gigs. (laughs) So often I'm, you know, often I'm doing BVs and the other BV people are like, once I was doing BVs for Blue Juice, this band, and the the other BV singer was like Nairi. It's like amazing, you know. (laughs) So I'm just like asking her free tips, you know. (laughs) Like, dude, Nairi, how do I do this? And Alana, like Alana Stone and Sarah Belkner and Joe Fabro and all these singers that are mates of mine and I just kind of get tips from them. And so over the years I've kind of had lessons, I guess, informally on gigs and, yeah, I just love it. And we sing heaps in Missy's band and in Ian Moss's, um, I just did Ian Moss's last tour. And that was, I had to audition for that and I had to kind of audition on the vocals, which was the first, like that was new for, really new for me because he wanted everyone to sing and that was a big part of it. Mm. And so... I mean, far out. That guy can sing. That's yeah, yeah. incredible. Like, oh man, that's amazing. Like, singing BVs for him was pretty amazing. And saying, like, when I, you know, when I did the Neil Finn thing, Neil Finn and Paul Kelly singing with those guys, just like far out. You learn a lot pretty quick when you're singing with people who are like really amazing singers. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Who were your um, electric bass inspirations in the early days? Oh. Far out, so many. I guess one of my first main ones was Bootsy Collins. Okay. Um, James Jameson, mm. like Duck Dunn. I used yeah, to man. be really into like the Blues Brothers. Um, oh, just just like so many, you know. I just kind of listened to so many different types of music for so long. Like everyone on Facebook at the moment is doing that 10 album thing. Have yeah. you noticed? Yeah, yeah. Like I just, I just finished. E- everyone's e- either baking bread or doing that 10 <laughs> album thing. And I've been nominated about five times and I just like can't do it because I'm like I'd need 10 albums per genre. Like I, I just couldn't pick 10 like overall, like or maybe ten from like when I'm a kid, and then ten from like you know. Yeah, like, you gotta you gotta look at that as as that's not the last time you're ever gonna be nominated. So just pick ten for now, <laughs> and when I you get just can't though because then I'm like, <laughs> what do I pick? Like ten from what? Yeah, there's just like they're so different. Like I can never think of it. It's the same with like bass players or whatever. It's like you start thinking of them and I start thinking in genres like. Who I like for what? Because it's so different, like different styles and stuff. Yeah, mine were like I had uh, I had Daryl Braithwaite, Rise album. Yeah. Then I had Megadeth, Rust and Peace. Um, yeah. <laughs> I had um, Earl Klug, who's a classical guitar player. Um, Living Color. I had Meg, uh, Metallica. <laughs> uh, what was the other one? I had um, Sly Stone, Fresh. Oh, that's on my list. Oh uh, yeah, for cool. sure. Yeah, yeah. That that would definitely be on my list. So that was, you know, in time. Yeah, yeah. You know that song off that in time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know how hard the baseline is off that. Yeah. I tried to learn that. That was one of the ones I tried to learn in the first year that I was playing electric bass. Yep. It's like someone should have told me, don't do that baseline. <laughs> That's a bit hard for you. Yeah, yeah. Maybe just try and play the G string. Yeah. And time. I'll never wreck you in the mind of a quitter. 
seriously, like, I think I tried man-child first. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is a bit hard. And then I took it to my bass lesson and was like, I want to learn this bass line. <laughs> my bass teacher, bless him, tried to teach it to me. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, it's not going to happen. Yeah. What did you do when you first came into Sydney, came up to Sydney from Canberra? Because you outgrew Canberra, came up to Sydney, you wanted yeah. to play with these drummers. Um. Well, I was lucky because in Canberra um, we had this teacher down in Canberra, Mirosav Bukowski, who is like a Sydney guy but had come down to Canberra. And so I was playing with him a lot down there. And so when I came up to Sydney, I had a few people really help me. He was one of them definitely. He got me to audition for the band Wonderlust, which is like a um, – because Steve Elphick, the original – bass player oh well yeah the bass player at the time was not playing and so I got to audition um to go into it so I got to meet like straight away I met like um Fabian Heavier and I met all he introduced me to just all these people I met Jonathan Schwartz really early on and he helped me a lot like he'd sling me gigs Hamish Stewart I met really early on through Miroslav and he um you know, he'd just recommend me for stuff and I used to go to the jams like constantly, all the jam sessions. And we were doing that though even when we lived in Canberra. We'd drive up and come to the jam sessions and then go back home again after them, which is crazy because it's like a three-hour drive. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I just – there was a few musos who really, really helped me right at the start. I was also jamming in Canberra every week with Arnie Hanna, this amazing guitarist who played with Jackie Ozowski and um, – so I just kind of met those people, I guess, before I moved. And so when I moved, there was a bit, I mean, it was still really hard. It took like a year before I was getting, you know, enough money really to pay rent and stuff like that. But, mm. yeah, a few a few musos really helped me and, you know, were trying to recommend me for gigs and all that sort of thing. Mm. So what, what year was that? What year did you come up to Sydney? When was that? Maybe... 2001 or two, mm-hmm. I think, maybe 2002. I'm really bad at that. Like I never <laughs> know. I'm not one of those people who knows years like yeah, that. Yeah, fair enough. Like whenever I have to fill it out on something, I have to call my cousin and go, what year did I finish high school or what year did I? <laughs> yeah. I just can't. I just don't, that stuff, I don't know. I just don't remember it. Yeah. Maybe 2002 or, yeah, mm. it might have been. What was your first sort of um... – Breakthrough Artist gig. When did that work start to come? Um, I'm trying to think who the first ones would have been. I played pretty early on. I, I mean, I met all the guys from the Cat Empire oh, years yeah. and years and years ago in Canberra um, because they were originally this band called the Jazz Cats or the Night Cats or something like that. And so I met one time they came down to Canberra and we were at this pub where we were doing, me and my brothers were playing all the time and um, they came, like Ollie and Harry came and Ollie's the piano player and Harry's like the singer and trumpet player and they came and the bar did this lock-in thing and we just jammed with them all night and like had a great time. It was really fun. And then back then as well, I was really good friends with Alana Stone, studied down in Canberra and made, you know, we made friends with her and so all that like with King Curly, I guess, we toured with Cat Empire, supporting them. Um, 
for an Australian tour. That might have been the first kind of tour like that I did maybe supporting. I'm just trying to think. Then I played with Lisa Mitchell pretty early yeah, on. Right. That was like a session gig. But early on, um, in, early on in, in her career, you mean? Or, or early it was on? when she just put out, it must have been, yeah, she just put out that dollar, um, that song. Um, how's it go? I can't remember. We, the dollar, I remember people used to throw dollars on stage. It was actually super dangerous. <laughs> like, <laughs> off, off. They'd just be hurling dollars up at us. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I just can't even actually remember the first. It sort of happened really gradually, I guess. Yep. I sort of get calls for stuff. Like Wendy Matthews I did some fill-in stuff for pretty early on. But then I was playing with blues players too. Like I used to do blues, lots of blues stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was doing that like while I was at jazz school. Like I'd play at blues festivals and um yeah that was like like while I was still sort of studying and stuff I was doing lots of blues stuff I've always loved um loved blues and played that yeah I guess must must have been one of them I mean King Curly I guess although it's not they're not he's not super famous I guess but yeah um you know we'll talk a little bit about more of those those acts that you've that you've played with but I mean you've always been very passionate about addressing gender imbalance in the music industry and um, you're very active in that. Um, before, was there, was there a moment where you were put in a situation and it made you go, fuck, I should be getting paid as much as that guy or is it just something that you always kind of knew young, uh, early on? I think I, for me, it was a really weird. I was all, I, like, I think it can affect people in different ways. Like the, um, you know, there's definitely a pro- an issue that, you know, is well everyone knows. Um, but for me, I never really thought there was when I was a young player. But I think because I grew up with two brothers, um, I was used to that kind of really competitive. Thing and I kind of loved that about music. Like I loved that thing about jazz where you get up and you got to prove yourself and everyone's trying to, you know, mess with you. And there was all this stuff at jam sessions. You'd get up and people would say to you, like, I won't name names, but there's yeah, like multiple times when I was young where I'd get up and pe- people would say, well, what do you want to play? I'd say to you and they'd go, what key? And I'd say, and then they'd just play it in a totally different key like as fast as they could or I'd say, they'd say, what do you want to play? I'd go, oh, let's just do a blues and they'd play some other standard like as fast as they could just to test me. But I was kind of like, I think because of my brothers, I was really like into that. I was like, oh, you can't mess with me. Like I'll show you. And, <laughs> awesome. Um, and so, but it was weird because it kind of, it was like aggressive, this aggressive thing that I yeah. just naturally did and had. Um, but I can see, and so I used to actually think, like other women who would, you know, other friends and stuff who'd be like, oh, I can't believe they did that. I'd be like, oh, stop whinging and all this when I was young. I'd be like, why are you whinging about that? And well, this, and it took me a really long time to come around and think, actually, that's not cool. 
And I had this reaction to it too, but my reaction was like this kind of aggressive, you know, like I'm going to prove myself reaction. Um, yeah, so really early on it was it was weird. And then it was actually Sandy, Sandy Evans um, asked me to be a tutor at the Young Women's Jazz Workshops, which is now in its 18th year, and she asked me to do that. I was like 20-something. She said, I want you to come, and it was her and Kathy Harley, and she'd started this thing, and it was the first year it started. She said, I want you to be a tutor, and you take the beginner jazz ensemble. And I wasn't that much older than the people, you know, in my group. And I was like, oh, what, you know, what's this? And then, but it was, it was amazing because when I think back to it, she just really put me, really early on, she put me in this position, like this sort of leadership position and gave me this responsibility and from there it just it's just grown you know and I've always had a really strong um I've always been really into music community Mm -hmm. and fostering that and I've loved that and loved the music family and wanted to surround myself with lots of musicians and you know help everybody and all that so that's just naturally like I've always wanted to do that and I think that Sandy must have recognized that in some way in me and kind of fostered it and yeah, so then since then it's just grown. And so now I'm like, I've, for the last few years, I've been the co artistic director of the Sydney International um, Women's Jazz Festival and still really involved with the women's workshops, you know, which has been going for a really long time. And the Australian Women Music Awards, um, I'm involved in that now yep. um, in a musical director role. And yeah, because I just see that the way that I dealt with it, the, you know, what was thrown at me is not the way that everyone would deal with it. And no one should be put in that position because it's not musical. You know, it's not musical to try and trip someone up and to try and mess with people and do all that stuff, even though it's like it is traditionally a jazz, a bit of a jazz thing to do that. Oh, right. But it wasn't always done in that spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it was like when I think back to some of the stuff, it was like because oh, you're a girl or whatever. But, I mean, a lot of the time, I mean, I was super lucky in my situation having my brothers and having a really strong kind of support network that I don't think I have had that many bad experience, you know, that many bad experiences compared to other people I know. Mm. There was a funny thing, though, when I went, I got this gig like really early on when I first moved to Sydney Um this drummer, Nick McBride, asked me to go to China for a while, to Shanghai, to play in this jazz club there. It was like half Aussie musos, half New York musos. And the club owner there didn't – he thought that I was like Nick's girlfriend, that Nick was trying to like, um, you know, smuggle over or whatever. So I had to like send a video of myself playing bass because the club owner didn't believe right. that I could actually play bass. So that was pretty pretty funny. It was like I was thinking what would – what would I have done like if I was the girlfriend getting smuggled over and then have to just stand there like pretend to play the bass six yeah. nights a week? But so there's been a few, you know, and there's other stories I don't really want to get into, you know, like not nice stories or whatever that everyone has. But yep. I think, um, you know, it's just one of those things. It's like the, but the young women's jazz workshops have been amazing. Like the impact they've had on the Sydney scene, it's so different now to when I came here like when I first came there weren't you know there was like Sandy Evans Kathy Harley like there was a couple of girls there weren't and now there's just these amazing so many amazing young 
female musos and there's this real community around it. And there's these big, you know, Sirens Big Band and the Sydney Women's Jazz Collective and all these just incredible, incredible young players. Just like, it's really, really cool. And I'm seeing that like nationwide, that the standard um, is just so high and there's so many amazing um, girls coming up playing, like young ones and, yeah, it's a really exciting time, I think. Mm. I was um, looking at a few. Like, have you, the Hack did a report um, on women in music, and I think they've done it the last sort of few years. And I, I was looking at yeah. the latest one today, and, and uh, not today, earlier in the week, and um, they're showing the percentage of, um, you know, the, the, the pay gap between men and women APRA members. And I think a few, oh, few right. years ago, yeah. it was like it was almost like sixty, seventy cents to a dollar. Um, oh, far out! Yeah, yeah that's but, crazy, but, isn't it? But now it's like ninety, it's ninety cents to a dollar. But it's not, yeah. it's not dollar for dollar yet, and I, I, I don't understand why it's not. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, and that's across all. Um, it's across all industries. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. it's not Ex- just exactly, music. Yeah. It's like all industries. It's just so bizarre. It's like you're doing the same job. Yep. Just be. Yep. Yeah, it's just it's just a weird thing, isn't it? That needs to get. It's just, you know, that at least it, it, I, I feel like now it's it's people are saying, you know what, no, like it's not acceptable, and there's more um, transparency mm-hmm. around those figures and around all that stuff, and hopefully we're seeing some real change, you know, and some of the uh, policymakers actually getting behind, you, you know some of this data that everyone's collecting and actually seeing some real real change happen. Yeah. I feel yeah. like that is happening now, you know. Okay. Um it's a positive I feel like there's a positive, you know, thing happening. At least in the music industry. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> but stay hopeful. Yeah. What more can you know, what more can we do? What more can I do? What more can the people that are listening do? I think the, I think the main thing is just support. Musos, I mean, support female musos. There's so many and they're so great. They're so great. It's like get out. I mean, you can't now because it's COVID, but get out to a gig, you know, buy the CDs, that sort of, you know, that sort of thing. Even now just buying people CDs, you know, going to see a show. Like it's the most, you know, and check stuff out. Like go on YouTube benders and check out some Chick players, yeah, and yeah. you'll be astounded. Like some such bad, like that's what I find myself doing a lot. Like I get in these rabbit holes and discover just these amazing players. Like that's one of the great, um, you know, one of the great perks of being an artistic director mm-hmm. is I can do that and not feel too bad because it's like checking out, you know, artists and and people that potentially we could bring out. Um, and stuff like that, and I, I love doing that. And there's just all these amazing musos out there. Yeah, I know. I'm being a drummer. The, the drumming community. There's a couple of things. There's a um, there's a company called Drumio, which do uh, online drumming video stuff and YouTube channels and the Modern Drummer magazine. I know there's been a big boost in the women that are on the Drumio yeah. shows. Um, a lot more women are being interviewed for Modern Drummer magazine. Um, yeah, it's great. You know, women are getting on the cover of Modern Drummer magazine, which never happened 
two, three years ago, you know. So they're yeah. starting to get on the covers, you know. It's it's a it's good it's good turnaround. And it's great. And it's not like the it's not like the women see this is what I was find so weird. Is it's like, oh if the girls just started playing. It's like, no, because I've been playing music since <laughs> music started. <laughs> That's right. It's just that it, you know, for whatever reason they weren't given the spotlight. Often they were the main, you know, driving force behind the scenes and, and still are, but now at least they you know, people are are paying attention a bit more. Um but they've always, you know, they've always been there. Mm. They've always been there. And now it's, you know, obviously when they're more visible, more and more young girls will be like, oh, I want to do that and I can do that. Like seeing a pathway is really, you know, going to encourage more people to do it. But they always, they have always played music. Women have always played music and always played music really exceptionally well. So, yeah, it's great. It's great that, you know, that stuff's starting to change. Yep. That's cool. Um, tell us a little bit about SEMA. Um, you've been a part of that for a little while. Um, and what's your role there and, and, and how that, how that, you were just telling me before we went, before we hit record, um, about, about how it's sort of, how you've been busy during all this, um, sort of transferring everything over to online. Yeah, that's right. Mm. So SEMA, um, SEMA for short, it's known as Sydney Improvised Music Association. It's been around since 1984 and it's contemporary improvised music, uh, sort of medium, small to medium arts organisation that basically we do a lot, like we create, curate um, a few seasons of music a year in Sydney and then we also do a lot of educational stuff. We run the Sydney International Women's Jazz Festival run the Friedman Awards, Classical and Jazz, um, the Young Women's Jazz Workshops, does a whole whole heap of stuff. It's probably Australia's premier jazz organisation, I guess. So we facilitate a lot of touring and commission artists and all it, so many different things. Like it does a lot of stuff. Um, and so basically before COVID hit, I was working on the winter season, work, working on programming that. I've worked as artistic director for SEMA for four years now and I love it. It's fantastic because I've always had such a love for Australian music, Australian mm. jazz. Um, it's just like a dream job basically. But, yeah, so once COVID hit, we were like, ah, what are we do? Yeah. no one can come to any of our gigs. Yep. So we've basically transitioned to a whole heap of online series. And actually tonight, today is International Jazz Day. Happy International Jazz Day. And tonight we're actually, there's a live stream happening now with a, two bands and a, and a pre-record um, that's, that's pretty exciting. And we're, so we're doing like weekly, um, weekly live streams and just getting a lot of online content. And we've also been working on a whole heap of um, mini commissions to try and get some work to museos and some mentorships. Um, this is all Australia wide, like not just for Sydney musicians, not just for New South Wales people. Um, so, SEMA, yeah, so it's been really busy. SEMA is Australian wide, is it? Or it's just. No, I mean, we're, well, yeah, we sort of are. Like we've, I mean, we're based, obviously, the majority of our output is Sydney, New yeah. South Wales, but we do, we do a lot of stuff with the interstate, you know, interstate artists and music and um yeah so we do we kind of are an australian wide thing but 
a lot of our a lot of our stuff is based here. So when we do our live shows, obviously they're in Sydney. But we will get, you know, we will help like, you know, we'll book Melbourne bands or Brisbane bands or Perth bands, people who are touring, um, all that sort of stuff. And we'll facilitate that stuff as well. Like we'll reach out to people and help with commissions and all sorts of stuff. It's a quite a, it's quite a broad range of, um, of work that the organisation does. With very few staff, mm-hmm. but very dedicated staff, I would say. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, yeah. You're also on the uh, Wangaratta Jazz Festival uh, board yes. committee. Yep, yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm artistic, one of the artistic directors for that as cool. well. Cool. So I've been doing that for three years, I think. This is the third year. They took, the festival took a break last year. Mm. And this, but the festival is back on for this year. Mm. Um, and with, I, I work with two other artistic directors on that, Scott um, Solomo and Eugene Ball. Um, and that's great. That's another really, you know, I mean, that festival was started by the incredible Adrian Jackson, who's always been a like artistic director and mentor to me and friend. He's amazing. And, um, you know, they're big shoes to fill. It took three of us to fill his shoes in. Right. He's, he has a really, um, he's always had a really, I think, beautiful programming aesthetic and had a real love for Australian music and Australian jazz. So I don't see my programming style as that different from his. Like really, I think I've been influenced a lot by him and his taste. And, um, yeah, I love, I love that, doing that as well. And this year the festival is actually going to be all Australian music, which I'm thrilled about. Because because of COVID, we're not you know we can't go for any international acts. Yeah, right. And I mean, I I'm kind of super happy about it because I've kind of always wanted to go in that direction anyway, like yeah. showcase more of the Australian music. Yeah, so course. yeah, it's exciting. You won. You, well, you're talking about the Australian Music Woman of Music Awards, um, which is only a couple of years old now, isn't it? Yeah. So this would be the third year this year. Yeah. Um. You won. You won. Uh, an award a few years ago. Yes, in the first the first year it was on, I won the um, creative leadership role for programming for my artistic director work. Oh, that's great! That's really yeah. Cool. So that was amazing. I'd never won anything before, so I was really really excited. And they gave me it's like you win this medal. It's like a big gold medal, like so that you can wear around your neck. So that was pretty <laughs> exciting for me. <laughs> So it's not like an aria. Yeah, it's great. It's not like an aria with a point. Oh, it wasn't like an aria. It was like <laughs> it was like this big, huge gold medal, very heavy. Yeah. Had the weight of quality. Yeah, very cool, <laughs> very cool. Um, back very early on in the podcast episode four, I think it was, I had Adam Ventura on the show. Yeah, and um, this was the day before he was flying up to Queensland to perform at the very first. Um, Australian Woman Woman Music Awards. I think he was he was um, playing with Metanier, and he was really excited about that. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah it was. I mean, it was such an amazing. I mean, that that award ceremony is so great because it's actually pretty much a concert. Really, there's so many musical performances in it that it's not. It's sort of more like a concert with little bits of awards here and there yeah. in between. How it should really but be, it's eh? <laughs> Oh, it's so cool, yeah, and and just it was so fun, like that first one, and even the the last one as well. It was so great, and just the how different all the 
um, the performances are. You know, that's like a classical performance and then folk and then rap. And last year Renee Gaya performed and it was just like so cool, like seeing all these, you know, amazing musos playing all these different styles of music and just a really, really fun, fun night. Yeah, that's cool. So I'm really looking forward to hopefully the one happens again this year. I'm not sure what's happening with that with the date, but, yeah, yeah, I'm really hoping it goes ahead. Yeah, very cool. Um, I wanted to ask you, I mean, one of my favourite, being a New Zealander, one of my favourite artists is is Neil Young. Uh, Neil Finn. Neil Finn. Sorry. One of my favourite artists is Neil (laughs) Finn. Sorry, I was listening to Neil Young today. It's just in my head. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, What was you? You played um, bass with was Neil's uh, Neil's nephew? Is that right? Was playing drums. No, Neil's son. So it was Elroy. Yeah, Neil's. Sorry, and it was it was um, Paul Kelly's Dan Kelly, Paul Kelly's nephew. Yeah. So how did I I mean I I watched that a bit of that concert the other night. How did that come? How, how did that come about? And and how was that? I mean, what a buzz! What a trip. oh my god! That was amazing. <laughs> it was so amazing. Like I'd met Paul before because Paul was actually, and I assume still is a really massive King Curly fan. That right. band that I first told you about, like that I played on really early on, and and actually so is Neil, like a fan of Steve's um, songwriting. It's really funny. Like Steve Appel, you should check him out. King Curly is this amazing songwriter, but not really. Never had public success, but it's really loved by a lot of really heavy songwriters. And so we'd do these gigs in Melbourne and I remember there'd be like 10 people in the audience and, you know, it'd be like the Cat Empire guys and like Paul Kelly and like all these musos there. So I I was basically – this is going to sound really weird, but I was trekking through the Himalayas with my husband and I got like finally got back into reception and I checked my phone and I had this email from Paul Kelly and it's like, saying, oh, hi, Zoe, you know, Paul Kelly here. Um, would you like to do a tour with me and Neil Finn? And I was like, I looked at it and I was like, what? <laughs> Is this a stitch-up? It was just so weird. Like I <laughs> yeah, was in yeah. <laughs> India. Yeah, yeah. Like I'd just literally come off the Himalayas and I was looking at it and I showed it to Evan and I'm like, what, what does this say? Like, <laughs> it's really weird. <laughs> it's like, he's like, holy shit, Paul Kelly's asking you to do a tour with him and Neil Finn, yeah. so you better write back. I was like, yes, yeah. please, that would be great. So I had a jam with um, Paul, but I found out later, like I started getting all these like messages from all mates, like tour managers and, you know, crew guys that I mates with going, have you had a call from Paul or whatever? So he'd been asking like everybody what I was like and about oh, me, awesome. what I'm like on tour and all this, like really doing his homework because right. he was choosing for Neil as well. Yep. Um, and I was the only non-family member in the band. Um, but yeah, so that was, I mean, that gig was just, you know, that was a dream, such a dream gig and the crew and everyone, like we just had one of those really beautiful magic tours and just playing those songs with those guys every night. It's just, you know, I mean, it's a dream, isn't it? It's like, and they're so cool and nice and we'd go swimming, you know, we'd go on swims and do all fun stuff together. And then I ended up doing Paul's next tour. So I played with Paul for like that whole year because I did that tour with him and then I did his next tour as well. Um, yeah, it was great. And I've been to visit Neil since in New Zealand and stuff and stayed friends with Elroy and Elroy's so, like amazing. That was Elroy's first tour, like his really? first proper tour. Man, yeah. he- you hear how he plays the drums? It's, it's so like he's so good. C- he's amazing, yeah. yeah. Great groove, yeah. 
yeah, but that was his first like big, you know, like proper big tour, and he was like, it was amazing. Since mm. we're talking about drummers, um, and you're a bass player, yeah. Uh, how do you approach playing with a new drummer? Do you have a conversation? I've had this conversation with a bunch of people, and it's it's great to get everybody's different different take on it. So, if you're playing mm. with a drummer for the first time, um. Do you sit down and have a discussion with them saying, look, I'm going to, I'm going to follow you today or is it just, no, just they follow me. They follow you. You know that. <laughs> yeah. Bass players are the boss. Yeah, I'm yeah. not following a drummer. Yeah. See this. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. This is, no, this um... is cool. This is cool. <laughs> no, usually we just play. I mean, stuff yeah. sorts it out, itself out pretty quick as soon as you start playing, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah. It's like, you know. I love playing with new drummers. I love finding new drummers that I love, like, that you just, it's so easy. You know, that's the that's the thing that's great. And I'm pretty, you know, I think I'm super lucky that all the drummers I get to play with are really amazing. Yeah. Amazing drummers. And it's just great when you, f- you first start playing, you play that first song with someone who you haven't ever, never played with them and it just feels so good, you know, mm. straight away. It's like, okay, it's going to be cool. You yeah. know, we're going to have a good time. Yeah. 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 It's great. That's cool. Um, of all your live playing gigs that you've done, what's been yeah. the highlight? Has there been like a wow moment where you've just gone, Oh man, <laughs> I can't believe I'm here. I guess for me that would be oh, there's been a few actually. But definitely Neil Finn, Paul Kelly was a mo you know, like that pretty much every night. Playing with Ian Moss is like that. Playing with Missy, is, she's just incredible. Like, um, I love her so much and I love that band. It's such a great, great, great band. But, yeah, I've had, I don't know. Like, I get that feeling sometimes when I'm playing with my brothers, you know, like playing with Ben and James. Like, I love that. I love playing with them. Like, we've been doing these things lately, me and Ben, because he's been coming over and we like a couple of Facebook live things and it's like this is just so fun like the two of us playing and yeah I saw that I saw the one know? I saw the one um and I turned it on and you're on the phone it's like oh, come this is not this is not I know yeah, and people we didn't realize on, I thought I was that, sending that to myself yeah yeah and and, and like sh- you're talking on the phone it's like this is this is not very professional and then it's and then you stopped the win so I'm just talking to James Valentine on ABC <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah I was talking to him we we're trying to yeah. do this thing but we've had like we've tried it three times we just keep technology is not our friend yeah right but yeah I get all those I mean I've had some crazy gig experiences like it, most of them in when I was in China which was like right. really, really weird right. um, gigs. But, I mean, I get that. I mean, I think that's the great thing about playing music, isn't it? It's like you can get those moments. You can get that feeling anytime. You know, it doesn't – it's just more like about how you feel and, and just playing music and if you've had a, you know, a magic day or you're playing with your music with your friends, which often you are, yeah. um, you know, and everyone's playing well and you had some – free chips or something before. <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> take much, you know. It's like <laughs> you gotta give musos free food and they'll be happy. Yeah. Like that's it. I mean you, you can, know you can be playing in front of thousands of people and be playing like shit and have the not that I've played that's in right, front of like, thousands of people, but thousands of people. But if you're playing shit, it's all shit. It's just all crap, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Or sometimes you can have weird gigs where you get in your head too much or 
you true. know, and then yeah. you can have other gigs. I don't know. Yeah, it, ha- it happens at all different times, which is what's so fun about music, I think, because yeah. you just never know when that's going to happen and that's what keeps everyone coming back all the time. I think that's why musicians do what they do is because you get those magic moments. Um, you know, you get them semi-regularly. It's great. Yeah. So hopefully the COVID thing, uh, let, let's just <clears throat> let's just say we're all back to normal by the start of next year, right? Yeah. Um, let's hope. I hope yeah. it's sooner. Yeah. I hope Who so. knows, I ho- though? I hope so, too. Um, yeah. I guess you kind of answered it before. I mean, you, you've got rebooking of tours and stuff like that, so there's there's that to, to hang on to, I suppose, at this stage. Um, yeah. It'll just be nice to get to see everyone and, you know, my kids, the kids don't, they, you know, they actually thought when we're, like, explaining COVID to them because they're really little, they yeah. thought there was a bug like an actual bug, an actual like bug. a big bug <laughs> that yeah. was going around knocking on people's doors. Right. And like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like going around. And so they're all really excited about when COVID's finished, they want to go to the movies and yeah. then they want to go, where else did they say they wanted to go? They want to go to the pool, to their swimming lessons, and they want to go see their grandparents in Canberra on the Apple Orchard. So, yeah. yeah, that's cool. I'm even looking forward to being able to do some of that stuff. Like I can't wait to go down. It's apple season at the moment, like killing me because the only time I eat apples is like in our apple season when I eat apples from the farm because I'm right. spoiled for life. I can't <laughs> eat shop apples. And I can't get them at the moment because of COVID. Right. Like I can't get down to get them. So I'm just like, ah, like having yeah. these major withdrawals. So yeah. I just can't wait till I can get down there and eat some apples. It's those little things, eh? Yeah, me and my wife were talking, I about, talking about that yesterday. Just, yeah. just the little yeah. things. But but I guess my, my fear is, um, I mean, it, it's cool that we talk about the little things now and, you know, we, we talk about how different things are certainly going to be. But I think a majority of the people, once everything's turned back on, it'll be full blast again. Hey, I, I really do. I think, yeah, I, think I hope a, so. I don't think everyone will be like that, but I, I just think it'll be just full bore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hope so. Like I hope that people haven't been financially hit too hard. You yeah. know, that's going to be the thing, I guess, if they're going to have money to go out and see shows and go yeah. to festivals and stuff like that. But, yep. Yep. you know, maybe the ticketing will reflect that everyone's been put under financial strain a bit. But I think everyone for sure is going to be like – Busting to get out and yep. you know yep. go to the pub and see some music and yep. I mean, imagine how amazing it's going to be that first gig back. Those first gigs back, yeah, it's just going to be like whoa, so incredible, such an incredible feeling for the audience and the and the musos and everyone. Like it's going to be pretty. I mean, that thing will be really super special. Yep. You know, no one's, none of us have ever experienced anything like that before. Like coming out of something like this and then going back to playing again is going to be pretty amazing. Yeah. I think certainly makes you realize what you lost, you yeah, know? Yeah. It may draw a little bit of comparison to what New Zealand have just been through. Cause they've just come out of, um, lock, lockdown level four, right? Yeah. So everything was closed. So they went to level three and at 12 AM the other night, there were, there were three, four kilometer queues of people lining up at, at McDonald's, Hungry Jacks. <laughs> oh, wow. So, 
Seriously, just give me my big back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so hope, hope, hopefully the music scene's like that. People lining up to get in the club. Yeah, for and... <laughs> sure. Let's yeah. just hope so. Yeah. A weird addictive as McDonald's. Yeah. How, I hope so. How, how co- competitive do you think it's going to be to, um, like, reattain gigs? It probably doesn't – may not matter so much to you because you're sort of working – um, as a, as a side person and, and there's management and people looking after yeah. that kind of stuff. But, you know, um, yeah, band managers and, and agents and stuff will just be lining up at knocking at doors and hopefully not cutting prices to get into gigs and, you know. Well, that's what I'm wondering is going to happen. Like is everyone, every musician in Australia going to be touring at the exact same, like yeah. hopefully they all talk to each other a bit and not everyone's doing yeah. the gigs on the same night. Like yeah. can all use the same maybe it'll line. be back like the seventies, you know, like I was here from the older zones in the seventies, like you do eight gigs a week in Balmain and never leave Balmain. Maybe it'll be like that again. Like yeah. everyone will have to do some like different nights and it'll be back to, you know, every night of the week you go see a show. Wouldn't that be awesome? That would be cool. Great. We're hoping, we're hoping. All right, Zoe Helpman, thank you so much for hanging out with me tonight on the podcast. Um, yep, yeah, hope no everything does come back to normal soon and enjoy spending time with your your family and your kids and your surfing and all that stuff. And, um, yeah, looking forward to meeting you in person sometime. Yeah, well, that would be great. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. Cool. Yeah, no Thanks worries. so much for having me. Sweet as. Catch you, Zoe. All right. All right, catch you. Bye. Cool, bye. Bye. Somewhere deep inside Something's got a hold on you And it's pushing me aside She'd stretch on forever Be home.
Oh. 